So now we read of a report, okay, of the church's prayer of gratitude for God's deliverance of Peter and John from these Jewish authorities. Released because, remember, the people and because of the healing that took place, you know? Could they really be incarcerated <laughs> because of these good things? And again, they were warned not to preach again, but they said they must. We must do it. And I want to encourage you guys, because I went off last week. Man, good news is for sharing, right? We got to do it. Just a couple hours after service, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody who really did not want to hear, okay, and their family. And I share the gospel with so many people, and it, it was hard for me. It was overwhelming because there wasn't even a place to reason, even to speak, just so closed. And I want to encourage you guys, it's not always easy, but like Peter and John, we must do it. We must do it, whether it's comfortable or not, whether it offends someone or not. We do it because God so loved the world. He loves every single man, woman, and child, and we have to keep sharing, guys. So this morning, we're going to uh, have a simple outline. If you're taking notes, again, on the back of your bulletin, listen, learn, love, okay? You could put this under the learn section, okay, because this is going to be our outline for this morning. The listen part is the scriptures that we're going through, so you could put down um, Acts chapter 4 here, verse 23, and we're going to get all the way through chapter 5, verse 11 this morning. And then the love part is really applying what we're learning this morning. So I encourage you guys, be taking notes. I don't know if you're like me, but if I jot something down, it sticks in here a little better for some reason. So it's good to write things out. So this morning we're going to be looking at great prayer, great power, great grace, great fear, and great giving. So you guys see why I named the, the, the sermon great? <laughs> There's all these great things in this passage set before us this morning. Now I want to note before we jump into verse 23 here, uh, the first mention of church comes up, okay? Uh, ecclesia. The first mention of the detailed account of the inner life of the church is the first mention of a member to be renamed, and it's the first mention of a burial in a Christian community. This is all set before us this morning. So let's look at this first one uh, that we're going to look into is this great prayer. Have you guys ever been a part of a great prayer meeting? You're just like, this is so stinking sweet. Don't want this meeting to stop. <laughs> I wish we could just keep going on, okay? And those happen. Yesterday, I think we had 14, 15 guys here for men's prayer in the morning. It's just a sweet time of prayer. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I could sense we're just in the presence of God. You know, we had his ear. We were praying for one another. We were praying for the church. We were praying for the lost. And let me tell you what, when your hearts are in that place before God and we're praying into his will, you know, that's when he's there, right? So let's look at verse 23. In being let go, they went to their own companions and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord, and they said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, whom by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage? 
and the people plot vain things. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose de determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Wow! Isn't that awesome, guys? So these believers in the early church, do you see they depended upon prayer? Depended upon it. Today we think, oh, I'm part of a good church. I'm learning the word of God. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. I'm good to go. But I've never even been to a prayer meeting. No, church, we need to be praying. I would love if we had more people show up for prayer before service than people attend church. Honestly, that would be cool. So come, 845, we pray every week. So these people in the early church, they were dependent on prayer and they directed it towards the sovereign God who made everything and can do everything. Now, there's a threefold reason for this. We see it in verses 23 to 28 because God is creator, because God is the anointer of Jesus and God as one who determines. So based on Psalm 2, which is a wonderful song when you're being attacked, by the way. <laughs> okay? So they base it on that. The second threefold request is given now. And we see in verses 29 and 30, they're praying for what? God, give us protection. No! God, we need boldness. <laughs> the world does not like hearing about Jesus. We need boldness, Father. God, let there be healing. Let there be signs and wonders in your name, Jesus. So that's their request. And then there's a threefold result that we see in verse 31. The assembly was shaken. Wouldn't that be cool? To be a part of a prayer meeting and things begin to shake? Yeah, that would be awesome. And they were all filled and also boldness was granted, wasn't it? Now, that's a prayer meeting, guys. But do you desire to feel things shake down here? Or do you want to see things shake up there? That our prayers rock heaven. <laughs> and God is on the move. God is on the move. But there are things. Isn't God looking for those? Hey, I'm looking. My eyes are going to and fro throughout the whole earth. I'm looking for those who are going to be loyal to me. I want to step in, but there was no one who was willing to pray. There was no one who would intercede. Yeah, God is doing, but there is something. And guys, in my experience at least, okay, I've seen God move in mighty ways, 
But there had been saints already praying about those things. Okay, God had already been revealing where he wanted to work and something he wanted to do. And in that prayer, okay, God does. At least that's been my experience. And we see great things take place here. So their prayer was immediate, right? It was united. It was unselfish, undaunted, and scriptural. I think those five things we should be mindful of when we come before the throne of God. Now, moving on, we also see great power in this passage. Look at verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say to any or any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So here we have the concept that was brought up back in chapter 2, verse 45. It's now being applied. The early believers were living in harmony, in unity. One heart, one soul. Okay? And is that a good thing, guys? To be in unity? But a part of unity, in order for it to happen, is we need to come together. We need to talk about it. We need to reason together. We need to seek God together. Okay? Because let me tell you what, one of my favorite things I get to do every year is go to a prayer summit. I get together with other ministers, other pastors, others who have a burden to shepherd, to share the word of God, to see people get saved. And though we have a lot of different opinions in some doctrines, we come from different denominational backgrounds, let me tell you what, there is a beautiful unity that takes place in these prayer meetings. Because as you pray, you get to see the heart of your brothers and sisters. What's really, what really matters? Because we can talk about what we think, about our differences, our doctrines, dispute it, debate it. you know. But when you're with somebody that's praying, you get to hear what really matters to them. What is in their heart? What do they think on? What do they care for? And let me tell you what, even though there's a lot of differences, the one thing I love about getting together with these brothers is we all know that Jesus is the only way and we want to see others come to know him. And man, we can pray into that for days. And it's beautiful. So, proof. Proof of this was expressed in the sharing of their resources to one another. There really was a unity hey, we're going to come together. We are on a mission together. We're on the same team. We're going to work together. And in that, they shared all they had. Through the charity of the wealthier, wealthier members like Barnabas, the poor received enough. So result of this, none among them was in need. Isn't that beautiful? None of them is in need. You guys ever worry about financial things? You know, <laughs> to be honest, I don't a whole lot, you know, and I thank God for that gift of faith, you know, and there's times, especially when I took on a wife, like, oh boy, here's a little responsibility. I just want to serve the Lord and I don't get 
care if I get paid. I just want to see people get, you know? That's my, but now I have a wife to take care of. <laughs> I got to work. I got to provide for her. And then the kids come and they ain't cheap. You know, and sometimes you start thinking. <laughs> Some, yeah, a lot of young families in here. Amen, Pastor. <laughs> Anyways, to be honest, even with all of that, I don't fear that things aren't going to be cared for, provided for, for my family. And it's because of you guys. Honestly, I, I believe if things got hard and I couldn't make a mortgage payment, I know most of you would probably open your home to my family and say, hey, brother, sister, you and your kids, please come. You know, we have a place for you. You know, I, I believe that. I don't have to worry. And it's because of this company. And I hope that God settles all of our hearts here. You guys are loved. We are family. We are here for one another. You don't have to worry about that stuff. So, the scriptures tell us in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Okay, we got to read that this last week at the men's Bible study on Thursday morning. We got through 11 Psalms and it was beautiful. But we're all familiar with Psalm 23, aren't we? Right? The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not lack. Right? He is our shepherd. He's our good shepherd. We shall not be in want. Okay? An illustration I'd like to throw out there, and this is especially for our brother Chris Tassoni this morning. I don't know how many you guys know, but he's a locomotive machine. He uh, works for the railroad for how many years? 18. Long time. Long time. I, I looked into locomotives this week, and I was very impressed. Okay? They are a wonderful piece of machinery. Okay, if you think about it, all the components um, that it has to work. But there's three main ones. If you think about it with me, you have the steam, you have the rails, and you have an engineer. Those are the three biggies that make a train go, right? So the steam is for what? Steam's for the power. That's what's going to get this thing moving and going. You have the rails in place, and that's going to direct you where you're going to get. And then you have an engineer. And he's the one who's going to keep things under control, right? Same thing, guys, with, the, with us as Christians, as believers. We need the Holy Spirit because he is our power. We need the grace. Well, we need God's, his direction, right? We look to him. He's the way. He's going to direct our steps where we need to go. And we need the grace of God because that is what is going to give us the control, Okay, so it's one of those things, guys. We look to God. There is great power. Sometimes we think, no, I know the truth. I'm a child of God. I gotta, just got to suck up, and I just got to do it. <laughs> no, God gives us the grace to do it. Amen? Amen. So let's look at great grace for a moment together. The second part of verse 33 tells us, and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord, and great grace, we're told, right, was upon them all. Nor was anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. And they laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. Now Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, anybody want a new name this morning? I love what they gave him. What is it translated? Hey, 
Joseph, you're going to need a new name. You are now going to be what? The son of encouragement. Wouldn't you love that to be your name? That's one of the things I pray for, okay? I'm not the greatest encourager in the world. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, would you help me be a better <laughs> encourager? But wouldn't it be cool to be given that name? Son of encouragement. You just would have to do it. You know, like I thank Mark and Joe for naming Sonny, Sonny. You know, I love her smile. That's my favorite thing about her. And I think a big part of it is just because you gave her a cool name. Of course she has to smile. Her name's Sonny. <laughs> you know, it's just the way it is. I named my youngest Shalom. Why? Well, we wanted that name because it means peace. Okay? I got a sinus infection. I had to go and get some antibiotics this week again. So we go into the doctor, and I had Shalom that day. Sonny was subbing. And as we go into the doctor, everyone asks this cute little girl, Hey, what's your name, sweetie? You know? Salom. She can't say shah. Yeah, it's salom. You know? And, and she also then prefaces, Shalom, peace, peace. You're telling everybody, shalom, peace. You know? It's so cool. And it's one of those things, because she does bring peace to me personally. And that's something Sunday and I pray for her, that whoever she meets, that there would just be a peace there. Peace. And her middle name is Karis, which is grace. Peace and grace, you know? Um, so it's so cool that Barnabas got this name, son of encouragement. And was he? Was he an encouragement to the body? Absolutely. If you don't know much about Barnabas, hang out, because we're going to read a lot more about him as we get it uh, on in Acts. So uh, the sincere self-sacrifice of Barnabas is compared with hypocrisy and the greed of Ananias and Sapphira. Look at Verse 1 of chapter 5, guys. There's this but here. Okay, it says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold possessions. So there's a contrast between these two, and we'll talk about these guys in a second. But Barnabas did a good thing. His gift, okay, uh, exposed the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. Just as Mary's gift, you guys remember that bottle of costly perfume that she anointed the head and the feet of Jesus with? And who was there to complain about it? Judas. Really, Lord? This woman wasted all this. We could have sold it and gave it to the poor. We could have done all this, right? And that's often what happens when we do give. When we do what's right, others are exposed. John Stott said this, Although in fact and in law they continue to own their goods, yet in heart and mind they cultivated an attitude so radical that they thought of their possessions as being available to help needy brothers and sisters. So the result, there was no, pro no poverty even existed in the church. That's pretty cool. Peter Wagner said this, nothing is wrong with having rich people in church, but something is wrong about having poor people in church. I'm just like, brother, you nailed it. <laughs> okay, if you're rich, praise God, you know. But if there are poor in the church, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Maybe John was remembering Barnabas when he wrote the letter, uh, later wrote in 1 John 3, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love in words, in tongue, but in actions and in truth. Don't you guys love that scripture? 
If we see a brother in need, we can't turn our hearts from him. Step in, do something. That's why I'm loving our needs board. I'm blessed to hear, hey, something was put up there and it's already taken care of. And something else was put up there and I bet you it's already taken care of. <laughs> That's the way the body should work. Now let's take a look at chapter five here. First eight verses together. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, they sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. That means he died, guys. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Now, in verses 1 and 2, there's no doubt they were glad to be part of the movement. Okay? They've come to faith in Christ. They're a part of the church and they were serious about their involvement. I see that here. They sought to go after both worlds, sell the property and make a show of giving to the church, but to keep part of the proceeds hidden. Now, the discovery of Ananias and Sapphira in verses 3 and 4, you see the couple lied to who? God, the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, Lied to God, the church, and to Peter. And it cost them their lives. Now Ananias had violated his own integrity, perjured the very spirit of God who has now uh, lived in his life. Yes, I do believe these guys were believers. Um, look at verse 4 here. It says, While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own to control? And why have you conceived this thing in your heart? That you have lied, you have not lied to men, but to God. So this is a very important point. This was entirely voluntary. You guys see that? They didn't have to do this. Okay, that was their choice. It was completely in their control before the sale and after the sale. So their sin was not taking money from God. I hope you guys see that. That wasn't the sin but pretending to be something they were not. That was the sin. It was the lying. You see, the kingdom principle is not to do without material goods. Okay? The principle is that we should not give material goods preeminence. Right? We're told to seek first the kingdom of God, then we won't lack material goods. That's the promise in Scripture. Even in the Lord's Prayer, didn't Jesus teach us to pray what first? Your kingdom come, and then what? Give us this day our daily bread. There's a divine order there, and that order is important. It indicates priority. 
We also see in verses 5 to 11 the death of Ananias and Sapphira. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and they wrapped him up and they carried him out and buried him. And now about three hours later, his wife now comes in, not knowing what happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. In the verse 9, it says, then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have been buried or buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. That means she died too. Okay? Then immediately she fell down to her feet and breathed her last. And the young men, they came in and found her dead and they carried her out and buried her by her husband. So great fear fell upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. So we see Ananias' death here in verses 5 and 6. His sin was tracked back to who? Verse 4, Satan. Isn't he the father of lies? Why do we lie, guys? Because he's influencing us. Okay, He's, he's putting those thoughts in our head. But the will of man yields. Okay, It isn't overpowered. I want you guys to know that. Because the Bible teaches us what? We resist the devil and he'll do what? He'll flee. He has to flee. So something in this man yielded to Satan. Okay. Same thing with us and God, right? Aren't we told to yield to the Holy Spirit? Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I pray for you. I pray for myself. I want us to be those who walk in the Spirit. But we have to yield to him. Don't yield to Satan because he's a bad guy. <laughs> Jesus, he's a good God. Um, so he yields. Um, he had liberty, right? He had freedom to retain. He had freedom to sell. He had freedom to give only a part, but not the freedom to lie. He was held personally accountable to this premeditated sin. And he had no chance to react. So why such a severe punishment? Have you guys ever thought that? Why so severe, God? You know, well, before you think that thought, if I had extra land to sell, I would give all or tell the truth about what portion I gave. Maybe that's, I wouldn't do what they did, right? Consider hypocrisy comes in many shades of dark. Many different ways it can look. Not only extrogating gifts or minimizing the means of giving, but boasting wrongly of worship or devotion or my time being spent this way. You see, there's a deception that, of Ananias and Sapphira that we see. The worst uh, of, or form of pretense is religious here. A simulated holiness, a virtual piety, a veneer Christianity, a fabricated devotion, a sham worship. No chalk line Christians, guys. It's sad that the first burial in Christian community was that of a hypocrite. But my question isn't why did he punish Ananias so swiftly, but why has he kept me alive knowing my heart, knowing my sinful thoughts, hearing my mind, seeing my actions, 
over the last three decades of being saved. You see, Sapphira's death here is in verses 7 to 11. She shows up three hours late. (laughs) Again, Ecclesia, the church. It's a free assembly of people, right? It extends all the way back to the Exodus as they left Egypt. Hey, you can come with us. Okay. The event had a powerful effect on the church. God's quick and decisive punishment created great fear in the church. The members were terrified, a natural response to witnessing the power of God in such radical Judgment is not the usual way God deals with believers today. I'm thankful for that grace. But on the other hand, (laughs) you know, we need to wake up. We need to see how serious this is. And I thank God for his word to open our eyes to this. You see, we need to get the message. We don't get away with impunity, okay? Exemption from punishment. There are consequences for our defense decisions brothers and sisters even though we know the merciful god and he's gracious to us what we reap or what we sow we will reap the bible teaches us that and there are consequences to our decisions and they can come in all kinds of different ways this event has little to do with the amount a person gives the more important the the importance really lies in one's attitude okay what was their attitude towards the church towards the Lord, towards their brothers and sisters. You see, outward and inward attitudes are affected by upward attitudes. Okay? How are you doing vertically with your God? Is this good? Are you right on? Have you been meeting with Him? Have you been talking with Him? Have you been receiving from Him? Because when this is good, guess what's going to happen? All the horizontal relationships are going to be right, going to be healthy, truthful. So their offering was to impress the congregation. Now the fact they held back money and claimed they had given the wholesale price reflected a self-serving attitude, not one that served God. Now, our last point for this morning is great giving. And I want to end with this this morning. First question I think we need to ask ourselves is what example can we follow from the action of Barnabas? He's a good example for us, right? What example can we follow? Another thing we need to ask ourselves, what danger can we avoid from the attitude of Ananias and Sapphira? And then for us corporately, does our church today resemble that of the early church, what they have shown here? I'd like to take the rest of our time and to share my heart on having a heart to give. If you haven't noticed, it's not my favorite subject. Um, We don't talk about it a whole lot when it comes up in Scripture. I feel that's a great time to speak into that. And we see great giving take place here this morning. I fully understand the importance um, and believe that it's important for us to give. uh, And talks on it have been so abused in the church. That's a bummer. I want to explain to you guys where we're at right now uh, as a church. Our church budget is not good. Um, 
You see, problem with the church is we can't raise the price of admission. <laughs> um, we are doing the best we can. Uh, we've seen God do much with a widow's might over the last nine years. I stand amazed at what God's done through a little church in this community. To the many different places we've been able to meet over the years, from my home to moving out to the Vandermosses, to going out to the VFW building and saw what God established in that time and that season. And then the YMCA on Apple Creek opening up beautiful facility for us to do ministry and teach our kids and learn the word and to worship, you know. And honestly, all that rent was minimal all those years. I know brothers who are trying to do church plants and they're dropping thousands of dollars leasing a little storefront every month. We've been very blessed that way. And then coming to this place that we get to meet every Sunday now, we've had money to paint walls to redo the entire kids' church downstairs. Okay, last summer, we got to remodel up here, and we now get to all gather together in the same area. This is wonderful. I love it. And we've been so blessed because all of this, guys, maybe a quarter of what it should have cost us. It was a gift, a blessing. And we get to be here in this community, be a light. And then I look at what God's done through the Freedom Center Food Pantry. When we initially took that on, there was a cost, there was a sacrifice. Is this an investment that we want to make here in our community? Well, guys, I'm so thankful we did. Because literally there's been thousands of families helped over the last seven years Millions of meals provided, so many clothes that have gone out to people. Just this last week, we had someone come through that didn't even have socks on their feet. It was Wednesday during the big storm. <laughs> Who comes out to get food? I don't know. We had a ton of people come out, and I'm so glad that we were there to meet a need. Because let me tell you, if there really wasn't a need, people wouldn't have came out in the middle of the storm on Wednesday. But they came. And I look at it, guys, all that God's done through there, the gospel being shared with so many people, okay, uh, definitely worth it. I would like to see us be able to continue to save in different areas of our budget, that when needs come up, that we can meet them, not having to keep tightening our belts over here <laughs> to make this happen over there. I want you guys to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5 quickly. We're going to look at verse 17. I would like to see us do the word in regards to this passage. First Timothy chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 17. It tells us here, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So it would be great for us to provide for our, our pastor, whether it's me or someone else, or pastors at the church. You guys understand that people minister to people. Okay? And we considered yesterday, we had a meeting, 13 guys came leadership training, studying what God's doing here. But we got into the scriptures. And what are we doing here as a church? 
we're here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And the word of God is so important in that happening. So the scriptures teach us here that we need to do that. And in doing that, having your pastor freed up or pastors freed up to be given to the church, to Freedom Fellowship, that's a great gift to a church. Also, like many families, okay, there's times where you can afford a big vacation and then there's times where you go tent camping, <laughs> right? One thing I love about Freedom Fellowship is we don't need all the fancy stuff. But it's nice once in a while, but we don't need it. Here is really what hit me this last week as I was preparing study. I don't know if you're like me, but you get a lot of requests. You get stuff coming in the mail. There's so many needs. They're always coming up. And what do you say no to? What do you say yes to? Now, I want to challenge all of us. Okay, What is your heart's attitude towards giving? Do you smile or do you frown? As I start speaking about this this morning, you're like, oh, crud. <laughs> or are you like, hey, <laughs> I'm a cheerful giver. What a blessing to invest. What is your attitude towards giving? Have you witnessed what you're doing and where, or have you witnessed what we're doing as a church? Do you see where we're going? Are you comfortable in investing in the kingdom here? And if you're not, why not? That's the question you have to ask yourself. So what amount or percentage have you purposed in your giving? Now, I want to throw out a few cautions. Don't think there's a lot of people here so someone else is going to do it. Don't think this church looks pretty well taken care of. I'll designate my monies over there. What would happen if everybody did that? Don't reduce giving to net or gross questions. Don't make this an automatic, you know, into a tie. that has got to be a 10% thing. Although, if the New Testament church simply started tithing, do you guys know poverty would be obliterated in no time? I mean, that's a reality. See, our goal isn't to be good little Pharisees who ritualistically tithes his salt and his pepper you know, from their shakers, but miss the more important matters, which is what? Justice, the love of God. See, be free from the law. Be free from burden. Be free from yokes. Some who faithfully give 10%, you need to be freed from 10%. You need to free yourself from that. I mean... Go to the next step, right? If God's a blessing, give another percent. Grow in giving. That's the nature of our God. And if we're becoming more like God, we're going to be givers too, right? God so loved the world that he gave. That's something we should be growing in as believers. So, what was the Old Testament tithe? Was it 10%? No, it looked more like this. You see, every Jew was required by the Levitical law to pay three tithes of property, of his property. The first, one tithe was for the Levites, one was to be used for the temple and the great feasts, and one for the poor of the land. Okay, Let's turn back to Leviticus 27 together. One Mosaic law regarding tithing 
is found in Leviticus 27 here. We'll look at verses 30 to 33. Look at verse 3. It says, And all the tithes of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's, and it is holy to the Lord. And if a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. And concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock or whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He shall not... Inquire whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. And if he exchanges it at all, then uh, both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy, not redeemed. Now, I want to jump over to Second Chronicles with you guys, 31, because I want you to listen to the heart here and the first reformation of a religion that happened during Hezekiah's reign. Okay? Um, because I think this shows to us that giving isn't set in stone, okay? It's an attitude. And I want to take a look. Second Chronicles chapter 31. We're going to look at verses 5 and 6. If you just want to listen, you can. But I want you to listen to the heart here. As soon as the commandment was circulated and the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of the grain and wine, oil, and honey, and all the produce of the field, and they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the children of Israel and Judah, who dwelt in the cities of Judah, brought in the tithe of the oxen and the sheep, also the tithe of the holy things, which were consecrated to the Lord their God, that they laid in heaps. Okay, These guys took it serious. God was doing something. Hey, let's go. Let's be a part of this. Let's do it. So, for me, okay, as a pastor, I know I have some pastor friends who listen into our studies. For you guys, for anybody that's staff, okay, at a church, should they tithe? Well, in Numbers chapter 18, verse 26, it says this, Speak thus to the Levites and say to them, When you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as their your inheritance, then you shall offer up uh, a heave offering of it to the Lord, a tenth of a tenth. So again, it's not the 10%, but it's the principle of giving. It doesn't matter who you are, okay? We're called to be givers. So an illustration, maybe you guys are like, what is all this stuff that we just read in the Old Testament? Well, it'd be like this. You guys going home, grabbing 10% of all that you own. Going to your cupboard, say 10% of the food, 10% of the oatmeal you own, um, Clothes in your closet, your hairbrushes, the oil that's stored up in your garage, 10% of it all. Then, 10% of all your earnings. Then, set aside the edges of your fields for the poor to come and to glean from. Okay, so this is all that they had to do in the Old Testament and stuff. So what was Old Testament tithe? It really looked more like 30 to 40%. That's what it looked like for them. But instead, and this is what I want you guys to get, because we're not under the law, are we? No. Okay? Again, it's about our attitude towards the Lord. Instead, and most importantly, first identify giving as worship. I think we miss that. 
And that's exactly what giving is. It is worship to our God. Ask God, what's your heart on this for me, for our family? Be honest with him. Because it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what your brother or sister thinks next to you unless it's your husband and wife. You guys should have that talk together, okay? So seek God. Seek him to be a generous giver. Give regularly and cheerfully. And do it unto the glory of God. And realize, as the scriptures tell us, it's better to give than to receive. And for you guys who practice giving, you know that's true. There's just blessings in it. Pray, pray, pray for our finances here at church. Okay? How many of us really pray for that? Well, I'll just give a little something. Take it here. No, pray. Pray. Pray for our finances that we would spend wisely. I think we've been pretty good stewards. I think we've done very well with what we've been given over the years. Pray that we're continually seeking the Lord and how to steward the funds here, what he wants us to do with them, that our body would be generous. And I pray that the response wouldn't be a big fat check, okay? That's not what we're looking for. I pray that the response is that every family who considers Freedom Fellowship their home, okay, a community here, that you would purpose in your hearts what the Lord is asking you to do and just be faithful with it. Be faithful with it. So, there's the talk I don't like talking about, but it's needed to hear. For me, for you, Let's be generous. Let's stand and pray. Well, Father, we thank you for your word this morning. A lot, a lot to take in, a lot to pray in, a lot to apply. But as uh, we were just talking, we do want to pray for our church and just the provisions to be made for what you're up to. We just pray for the wisdom, Lord, to be good stewards of what you've given to us, Father. And we want to use it well for your kingdom. So we just pray for that direction and just pray for the hearts of each and every uh, uh, member here, Lord, that calls this place their home that you'd be showing us exactly what our part is in giving and how that looks, Father. And most of all, Lord, we thank you that you've been so generous to us. God, we don't deserve it, but we are so thankful that it's in your nature to give, Lord, and there's so much grace upon grace upon grace. And I pray for each and every one of us that you'd help us to stay in that sweet spot that we're receiving from you. And as we receive, we would be diligent Father, with those things, Father, and, and bless others, love others well. Amen? All right, so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen? Amen. Amen.